0: If we've never met, I'm James. Uh, Welcome to church. If you have a smartphone and you have a, there's an app called YouVersion. It's the Bible app you want, so you can have the Bible on your phone at any time. It'll read it to you, uh, so you can listen while you're driving or whatever. Um, There is an event. If you click this bottom little uh, hamburger button, that's what I've heard it called. There's uh, two churches in town that do events, and so the rest of them are just terrible churches. And uh, (laughs) ours is one of them. And uh, they, other churches probably have developed their own apps and don't just get the free ones. But uh, <laughs> but there is uh, uh, the scripture, uh, announcements, uh, there will be uh, just discussion things that you can do, follow up that way as so we want you to be able to engage the Bible. We're talking uh, for the next few weeks about Jesus' friends. I think it's, uh, you can usually tell people or tell what people are like by looking at their friends. Uh, Some people say we're basically like an average of the people that we hang out with, and Jesus had some interesting friends that he hung out with, uh, people that were tended to be on the margins of society, some on the very low end, some on the very high end, uh, and today is no exception. Today's story actually appears in three of the Gospels. Uh, The Gospels are, if you know that, if you have a paper Bible The first half is called Old Testament, the second half is called New Testament, and the first half takes thousands of years and many, many pages, and the second half is just a few decades and it's all crunched together, uh, just lots of action, but the New Testament begins with these four stories, four guys wrote the story of Jesus uh, and his impact on the world, and today we're actually going to read from one of those written by a guy named Luke, and they weren't creative with titles, so it's called Luke, Uh, and so... Uh, But Luke wrote uh, one of the stories, Uh, he wrote the book called Luke and he wrote the book called Acts, which is uh, book number five in the New Testament. And so you just kind of, uh, there's a full story that Luke wrote coming from the beginning of Jesus's life to the expansion of the gospel all the way into the city of Rome and into the uh, influencing places in society. So today's story appears in all three of the first Gospels, which are really similar. The fourth one is really, really different. The fourth guy was actually a good writer. Uh, The first three were, they put forth good effort. Uh, But they, uh, the first three all include this story. And there's little nuances that are different, just like if, if somebody tells a story and your friend tells a story and your other friend tells a story, there'll be little things that are different. Like today's uh story is about Jesus's friend Matthew, uh, but that's he. Uh, he was also called Levi. He had like a Greek name because uh, Greek was the predominant uh, culture that was over the Hebrew culture, which was kind of their uh, native culture, or they were Hebrew people who were being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so they have, would have a Greek name for when they spoke in an official capacity, and a Hebrew name. Uh, that their mom would call them, if that makes sense. And so the, he, the, this guy was called Matthew, but he was also called Levi. And so that you know uh, who he was, uh, the Roman Empire ruled over basically the known world, and they would tax people like crazy. They figured the vast, vast, like 80%, 90% of people lived below what we would call like a poverty line, uh, just the desperation that they had to exist in Uh, because the taxation was so so high and this is why the roman empire was able to pay for great coliseums and stadiums and those kinds of things but uh, the the romans would collect their taxes by employing tax collectors who were native to the people who they would be collecting taxes from so among the hebrew people or among the jewish people in near the city of jerusalem they would find jewish men to be the local tax collectors. And they would say, You're the tax collector, or you get a job as a tax collector, and there'd be junior tax collectors and chief tax collectors, and that you would like them about how much you like the tax collector this weekend, right? Uh, you just, you, you, you're just kind of, it's a bit annoying. Except, this would be like we're paying taxes not to our government, but to an occupying government that's in charge of us. So if you can imagine, you're paying taxes, but the Queen of England is getting all that money and you're not, right? Like it's not your government isn't collecting. Your government is like a puppet that's actually being run by some occupying army that lives far, far away. Would, it would taste even worse to give that money away. Then imagine that one of your friends became a tax collector and is em, like employed by this far away army and taking your money. You wouldn't be friends with that person that person would be looked down upon in your culture and in your society now it's going to get worse that imagine that person gets paid on commission on on a commission that they set themselves so rome says here's the tax rate this is what we want you to get from people and then the tax collector would say well I want to get paid too, so this is how much I'm going to collect, and he would give himself a margin, whatever margin he decided. So if his kid was about to enter college, guess what? Your taxes went up. There was no such thing as college, but there were other things <laughs> that uh, that if they were like, I need a new house, everybody's taxes go up. And so the person isn't just like taking money from his fellow people and giving it to an occupying army. He's also stealing more money, or mm, let's say commissioning more money, from his brothers and sisters, from his people, in order that he can fund his own pockets. And tax collectors were notoriously hated in this culture. Like if like oh, they were the worst people of the worst people. Uh, you were not friends with them. You hated them. Tax collectors tended to hang out with other tax collectors and uh, people that would generally be called sinners people who didn't have any use for uh, the moral right or the religious orderings of the jewish people who were defined by their religious orderings and their religious adherence to their faith tax collectors were the worst people now the best people were called rabbis and rabbis Uh, rabbi was a title given to jesus if you remember our our story from about nicodemus when nicodemus approached jesus nicodemus was a pharisee like he was very learned in their law and in their religion and he approached jesus and called him rabbi A rabbi means teacher and so to have that role in society you're a teacher you tell us what god has said the rabbi would be a very very high position all the moms wanted their, their boys, because it was a sexist society too, uh, but they didn't know it at the time, uh, they were doing their best, all their boys to become rabbis. And none of them wanted their boys to become tax collectors. And you became a rabbi by going through an educational system that was at the local synagogue, and it was a, like a cutthroat education system. Everybody does it to a certain level, and then we chop off the not smart enough, and those move up. And if you're not smart enough, you're, you're done, and those move up. And if you're not smart enough, you take the education you have, you go back to your family and carry on the family business, which for Jesus was carpentry. Jesus built stuff uh, with his dad, and that was his dad's job, and so that would be Jesus' job if he wasn't smart enough. Thank the Lord for this whole Son of God thing. Um, but uh, so Jesus apparently does well at his school and does well at his school and does well at his school and then eventually you become a disciple of a rabbi and then that rabbi takes on you as a personal mentor and you will become his disciples and you follow him everywhere he goes learn how he lives learn how he teaches and then the best of the best of those disciples might become a rabbi themselves and get their own disciples who they say to a disciple you can be like me. When a rabbi would go up to a student or a student would go and apply to a rabbi, they would ask themselves the question, can this student become my disciple? And you can become my disciple if you can become like me. And so for Jesus being a rabbi, when he called disciples, he would say to them, you can become like me. If you've read the bible stories ever he would go up to people and he would say you follow me that's he's going to say that in our story today you follow me and people would drop everything like leave their jobs and go follow jesus and it's such a strange thing to think like why would someone just leave their job and follow this homeless guy who wanders the countryside teaching people and healing people like that's rather strange and it'd be much better for your family to have a steady local job and move the community forward But it's such a privilege to hear those words from a rabbi, follow me, you can be like me, that people would drop everything. Here's the story. This is uh, Luke chapter 5. It'll be on the screen for you. It starts in verse 27. After this, uh, which Jesus had been doing some healing and getting in trouble with some people who didn't think he should be doing the things he was doing. After this, Jesus went out. And he saw a tax collector and in your, the original audience would have thought oh a scumbag uh, after this jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of levi or matthew other stories use the word matthew sitting at his tax booth follow me jesus said to him which if you're reading the story you back up and go wait a second no no jesus went out and saw a scumbag tax collector by the name of Levi Scumbag <laughs> sitting at his scumbag booth. <laughs> Someday I'm going to meet him in heaven and I will have to apologize for that, but everyone was thinking it. Jesus says, follow me. And Jesus' current disciples are looking at, not you, the guy next to you. I'm sure, I'm sure Jesus meant the guy next, no, 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 you sit down. But Levi got up, Left everything and followed him. Levi leaves everything. And here's what leaves everything means Levi isn't one of the ones living in poverty or living under what we would call a poverty line. Levi is making money. Tax collectors lived in nice houses, tax collectors, uh, they rode nice donkeys. (laughs) tax collectors walk around in fancy sandals they wore purple clothes they had decorations on themselves they had people coming to them and asking them favors levi stands up and leaves everything and walks away you would think a poor person would want to follow jesus there's some kind of hope for a step up but a person who's very, very wealthy, and people have said this to me, what do they need Jesus for? Levi had everything that he could possibly want in his life, and yet Jesus walks up to him, says two words, and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. Now, tax collectors had enough money to invite people over to their house, and so if a rabbi picks you to be a disciple. What do you do? You throw a graduation party, right? Except your friends aren't the kind of friends that go to your graduation parties. The only people who would go to Levi's parties are people who really like to party and wouldn't notice that everyone was looking down on them. So Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at Levi's house. The thing is, Levi's house was big enough to hold a great banquet for Jesus. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now, the others is nice. There are other translations, and in a second the Pharisees talk. It's tax collectors and sinners. Like if I know there's sometimes people who look down on other people, but there were cultural words for people in Jesus' day. They're tax collectors oh those are sinners like it's not even that they're good people making bad choices they are sinners and so levi throws a huge party for jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them but the pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners And I'm going to read Jesus' answer, but then we're going to hit rewind. Jesus answers them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Jesus goes to a party, a, a great banquet, at Levi's house. Levi, the question is, right, what has Jesus taught Levi? So far, nothing. So the question is even, is Levi a Christian at this point? Like, maybe. He left everything to follow Jesus, and that's kind of the commitment of Christianity. So somewhere in there, Levi becomes a Christian. But he's the kind of Christian that doesn't know you're not supposed to say those words anymore. And so Levi would go to a prayer meeting and say, God, you are swear word awesome, right? And he'd be like, genuine in what he was saying, But all the other Christians in the group would open their eyes during that prayer and go, what the Christian swear word is going on, right? (laughs) They wouldn't say the real thing. We have our substitutes because we're sanctified. (laughs) Not that I'm poking that bear. When, When Levi throws a party, he doesn't go out and invite all the followers of Jesus to his party. Levi's party is full of tax collectors and sinners and Jesus is at the head table Tax collectors and sinners decided they all wanted to go to a party for Jesus And the party was so good That the religious people who weren't allowed in the party Started getting mad. Why are you hanging out with bad people? Because in their culture, to eat and to drink, to share a table with someone was a signif like, it wasn't just like, oh, we're meeting for lunch and having a discussion. When you eat with someone, it's a commitment to lifelong friendship. And so Jesus goes to a party and commits culturally to lifelong friendship with scumbag tax collectors and notorious sinners. And the people who are religious say, why? Are you committing to those people and there's probably two parts to the question the first part would be because you're going to be seen as a bad person jesus and he was actually criticized for that jesus was criticized and called a drunk and called a glutton right which just so you know if you're calling someone that it probably means like they're not rail thin like the jesus you see on the cross all the time jesus probably looked more like dad bought it out you know like If they're saying you're glutton, then Jesus wasn't a skinny dude, right? I'm just trying to do some heresy here, but uh, I'd like to see a picture of Jesus on the cross where he isn't ripped, like as if he could just pick the earth up and carry it around. I want to see regular Jesus that ate poorly, but I mean, he did walk everywhere he went, but he was a bit lazy and rode the donkey sometimes when everyone else was walking. So (laughs) it's a whole theology of overweight Jesus that I have. So when... (laughs) I'm, I'm developing in front of you, which is free content that has nothing to do with today's sermon. Ah, jeepers. So Jesus is going to this party and hanging out with people who he should not be hanging out with. He's building himself a reputation, and the Pharisees are concerned about that. Then the Pharisees are be concerned in another way because they're political. They understand Jesus is beginning a movement, and you don't want to begin your movement with the riffraff of the community you want to begin your movement with the with the good folks like jesus why aren't you attaching yourself to the pharisees and the teachers of the law we are an established group that is moving forward in reforming society and you're doing some strange thing with the lower class and you're not going to have the effect that you probably wish you would have had i mean it's easy to think the pharisees were condemning and they probably were a little bit, but the Pharisees were also in relationship with the other movements that were happening, which Jesus was most definitely doing. And so they have this condemning part to what they're saying, and they have this kind of questioning part, like, Jesus, we don't understand what the plan is moving forward. If you're trying to change the community, forget world history. It isn't a good plan to start with the people that everybody hates and looks down on. And so they would think maybe this is Jesus' movement. Jesus instead is moving towards the sinners. is moving towards the scumbags. The people that we don't like. The people that we've all decided aren't coming to our Christmas parties. Right? The people that we've all decided we just kind of will, will acknowledge their existence but we're not going to befriend them. Jesus has decided to walk right into the room with those folks. He walks up to Levi slash Matthew and says, you follow me. And he, all of a sudden, this guy who his whole life has been told you're not good enough. And he's made his way in the world through some shady business practices to where he's now at the top of an economic ladder. But he feels and knows there's a I wish my life meant something more than just economic success. He throws parties, and the people who show up are the other people who know that the rest of the world looks down on them. So Jesus is at this party, and the party is described as great, a great banquet and there's a couple of strange things that happen here that I think we need to talk about. The first thing is apparently Jesus likes sinners. And I know that's like Jesus loves sinners. We write songs about it and stuff like that. And we all love sinners because the Bible says we have to. But Jesus actually likes them. Like he enjoyed talking to the guy who smelt like his bad habits. Jesus enjoyed having conversations and hanging out and seeing what kind of funny things would happen at great parties full of sinners. This is not the Jesus that we necessarily want. We want the Jesus that loves all people because love is nice, but liking people and moving towards them gets a little bit awkward sometimes. Jesus apparently enjoyed his time hanging out with irreligious people and he would avoid the religious people in order to hang out with those people. Like Jesus went out of his way. If Jesus is walking, there's a bunch of Pharisees who know their scriptures, who know how to follow, who are well connected. They're observing what he does and he walks up to a guy who is the opposite of that and says, let's get you in my discipleship group and let's see what happens i like what i see in you now many christians also like sinners but they like sinners because they kind of wish they could have fun like i like hanging out with the sinners because it looks like the sinners are having a good time and the christians mm, right some of you have had this experience Like, when I grew up, I was like a youth group all-star for a while, if that exists. And then I noticed it, it was like fake fun, you know? But my friends were doing real funny things. And so I was like, let's go do the fun things. I like the sinners. Now, for some reason, Jesus held on to me, and I didn't get to do the good sins that my friends did. But I would hang out with my friends who were sinners. There was a time uh, in my life where I was uh, hanging out with people and I would be, uh, we called it sober patrol, uh, and I made sure that my friends didn't drown in ditches. And, like, and I had, like, my friends were good at sinning. So, this, like, not just, oh, we sinned a bit. Like, they sinned, all right? <laughs> This is the wrong thing to brag about, but it's funny. Uh, and I would walk around. I would hang out with engaged guys because they didn't want to screw that up. And then we'd try to find guys and make sure they got home okay, right, like friends of ours. These are the, like, uh, but I didn't hang out with them because, like, I thought they were, their lives were good or their lives were definitely headed in the right direction or something like that. But when I hung out with my Christian friends, the adventure was Fake. And not to insult them, and I was just as fake in that situation as you can tell by my story because I would fake it for a bit and then go see what happened. And when you ask yourself, where did I experience Jesus more? In this story, it seems like I was experiencing Jesus over here. Like Jesus was the guy at the party going, listen, dude, you're engaged. Let's not screw this up, all right? We're going to just kind of get some coffee in you and everything's going to be all right that's not necessarily the jesus that i want to tell my kids about right that's not the jesus that we want to necessarily emulate like there's something in us that does but then there's something in us that that, that's kind of dangerous because the number of christians that i've seen who hang out with non-christians see that it's fun and end up totally abandoning their faith and moving towards that and just engaging with sin and becoming sinners the real difference is jesus When he was presented with something that was impure jesus was so pure that he purified the impure and christians who think christianity is no fun but sinning is fun actually don't have an experience of actual christianity because it is more adventurous it's just when you're taught to be safe instead of dangerous in your faith you're taught something that's not taught by jesus at all Uh, and so you're taught this fake thing about following jesus then when you go over to something that's real it's really exciting but if you're actually following Jesus and you know the dangers of following Jesus and the giving up of everything so that you can follow Jesus, moving into those spaces, you begin to purify those spaces or bring light to darkness rather than be influenced by the darkness. The scripture actually says the light has shone in the darkness. That's not a word. Shined? Who knows? The light is bright in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The scripture is in Hebrew, so translation issues, right? But... um, (laughs) The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So Jesus hangs out with these sinners. The second part is stranger than the first. The sinners liked Jesus, the sinners knew Jesus and liked going to parties that Jesus was at see, this sermon that I wrote is about Jesus hanging out with the wrong kind of people and messing up his reputation, and I had like seven different stories to choose from, because Jesus repeatedly ends up at parties where all the sinners are like, oh, Jesus is going to be there? Straight up, let's go, right? <laughs> and it might be If you've read the Gospel of John, Jesus' first miracle is to make wine out of water, and he gives it to people that are half-toasted already, right? And you're like, y'all don't say that. um, Half-drunk already. Uh, And all of my references are from the 90s, because that's the last time I hung around with those dudes. But uh, (laughs) when... Y'all don't say dudes anymore either, do you? (laughs) The 90s were good to me. (laughs) When... Jesus's first miracle created this wine. So you have to wonder if there was like this underground kind of rumbling that, oh, Jesus is throwing party, like sweet open bar, right? Like it's, uh, this is, I know how Jesus parties, Uh, but uh, it's never recorded that Jesus did that again, so it was a false rumor. But the sinners enjoyed being around Jesus and How many of you, it's your experience that people who are unbelievers, non-Christians, even antagonistic towards Christianity go, you know what I love hanging out with? Christians. If Christians are, by definition, miniature or images of Jesus in the world, if we are true to the image of Jesus, then non-Christians would say, you know what I like doing? Hanging out with Christians. Like, I've never in my life heard that. I've heard, I have, I have close friends who don't follow Jesus because they say when I hang out with, they don't use these words, sinners, I can have real conversations. And when I hang out with Christians, I feel like there's something going on that I don't know about, like a secret that we're all keeping secret, <laughs> which really is our own sins, our own doubts, our own fears, our own worries, And so I don't like hanging out with that because I can see it. But when I hang out with the people that, they don't use this word, sinners, it's always real. If you have friends who don't know Jesus, and they say, I don't like Jesus, by definition, they have an incorrect concept of Jesus. Because by definition, sinners love Jesus. Like, all the sinners loved Jesus, in a general sense. And so when you have someone who doesn't like Jesus, an atheist, an agnostic, an anti-Christian person, an anti-religious person, they probably don't actually know Jesus. If you have friends who aren't Christians and they say, no, I hate that Jesus guy and I hate Christians usually i can ask them like tell me about this god or tell me about this jesus that you don't believe in and that you hate and the guy that they describe i don't really like either (laughs) the guy that they describe usually isn't the jesus that i read about in the bible and part of that is our fault in a communal sense in a historic church sense if you ask unbelieving people what are christians like They have a whole list of things that we are against. Whereas what Jesus was against was religious people. There should be a collective, oh crap, in your mind right there. Jesus hated people for whom religion was the most important thing in their life. People who were trying to propagate their religion, who were trying to get religion to be the answer for people's lives. Because Jesus felt like by having a relationship with him you could have a relationship with God. I feel like I'm presenting a Jesus that um, some of you really, really want but you don't feel like you can take. Because if you follow Jesus do you know who you get in trouble with? None of the sinners. If you follow Jesus and Jesus liked people and loved people and was around people who were completely antagonistic towards God, the people who will get on you about that, historically, are the religious people. And so it becomes very, very hard to follow Jesus. Because what if Jesus calls you to leave everything? And the religious people say, that's irresponsible. You're ducking your commitments. God doesn't call people to do crazy stuff like that. And you start hearing the same words that Jesus heard. It should be like a confirmation. Like I must be doing something right. And now, what you're doing right needs to be in line with the scriptures. I've had people say, like, God's calling me to do this. And I'm like, that's actually unbiblical. But uh, very exciting, unbiblical. But... uh, Uh, when you're living in line with jesus living according to the scriptures jesus is clear that everything else fades in comparison to following him jesus uses words like let the dead bury their own dead you follow me jesus uses words like uh, your love for me will be so great that it'll seem like you hate your father and hate your mother because your love for them will be so small, you will follow me to the ends of the earth. So then when grandma calls and wants to see her grandbabies and you're a missionary in Umbu Batu and you have bad internet and you can't get home, they'll seem like you're not a good kid. And Jesus will say, your love for me will look like this. There's kind of two parts to this, I think, in far as what we do with this story. If you don't know Jesus, like if you're here and you're unfamiliar with Jesus, or maybe you just came and you're antagonistic, like you think Jesus sucks. If you don't believe in Jesus and you don't like Jesus, the Bible teaches you have an incorrect concept of Jesus. And I want you to hear this, like for real. We, as the community of Christians, apologize for your incorrect assumptions. Because in my own life, and in the life of many of the Christians here, we fall short of displaying exactly who Jesus is. And I don't claim to be exactly as Jesus, (laughs) but sometimes when I'm not exactly like Jesus, other people have a hard time seeing Jesus because I'm getting in the way. And what's actually, the times you see Jesus truest is when I'm able to be humble and say, I'm not like him. Like anything good you see in my life is like him. Anything bad is just throwing shade on Jesus and I'm a little bit uh, like I'm disfiguring the image of Jesus on this earth. And it feels strange for a lot of Christians to apologize to uh, non-Christians because we really want to be better than we are and today we're going to try to be a better image of Jesus than yesterday and tomorrow a better image than today. And we have to just acknowledge that we're on this journey of becoming Christ-like and tomorrow you'll understand Jesus in my life better than you did today. And 10 years from now, much better. And 10 years ago is much more confusing. But if you're not a believer in Jesus or you're antagonistic towards Jesus, I would ask that you forgive the people who gave you the image of Jesus and actually go to Jesus Himself, read the scriptures, have conversations, and see if you don't fall in love with Jesus. The actual Jesus. Because the God that you don't like, we don't like either. Because it's not the God of the Bible. The other part to that is the other part to that is for those of you who are committed with followers of Jesus to engage with the challenge of Jesus in seeing in people what God sees in people. See, we like to hang out with non-Christians because it seems like they're having fun. Jesus hung out with non-Christians because he saw the image of God in them and the creative potential and promise that God had put in them. Some of the greatest Christians in the Bible— were the most notorious sinners in the Bible. Like bad dudes. And Jesus saw, you are so passionate. Let's turn that passion for Jesus. You are so skilled. You are so smart. You are so talented. You are so well-connected. You are so, whatever gift they had, Jesus turned those gifts and they became great men and women in the kingdom of God. And it still happens today. Today. People who are fantastically good at sin become fantastically forgiven. And Jesus says, I haven't come as a doctor for healthy people. I've called, I've come to call sinners to repentance. As Christians, if you're a believer, the step or the next step or the action that I think you need to take in reading this story is to challenge yourself to like non-Christians because of what you see in them and their habits might be abrasive their opinions uh, might be antagonistic the things that they participate in you might not be able to participate with them because that is too deep of a temptation in your own life where you have issues in your past that you just can't go there but what happens to a community if the christians look at everyone in the community with love if everyone in a community started saying, you know who I like hanging out with? My Christian friends. I don't know why, but I like being around them. And they're strange, <laughs> but I like being around them. It's not that everyone just accepted Jesus. It was just for some reason they wanted to be around him. And it's not like you have this grand responsibility to declare everyone's sin to them, right? Like you need to go to your friends parties and just point at them and call them sinners right most of them already know that (laughs) the surprise would be if you look at them and say you have so much potential in your life like the gifts that i think god put in you are so great that i can't wait to see what god does with your life just to end with something fun i had a great friend when i was in the army uh, when That was in the 90s, and he was one of the ones that I would make sure wasn't in the ditch. He basically managed to drink himself out of his career and drink himself out of his hmm, 20s and 30s. And we became Facebook friends, and it's funny, and those kinds of things. And then one day he put up that he had been sober for so long, like you get a little virtual chip from your AA meeting. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then he started putting up stuff about where he was going to his AA meeting, and the church that he was attending loved him, and, like for the meetings, loved him and accepted him. And next thing I know, he's posting Bible verses. And next thing I know, he's a follower of Jesus. And he's an incredible follower of Jesus. My friends who suck at partying generally suck at following Jesus. Your friends who are the worst sinners that you can think of can become the most incredible followers of Jesus. Like, for real. And if you're able to look at your friends and your family and your coworkers and the students in your class with that lens, like, man, this person is amazing at screwing up their life. Imagine how amazing they would be at helping other people not screw up their life <laughs> with Jesus. I'm going to pray today for those of you who don't know Jesus that you would come to know Jesus. Not even like that you get saved today. That's what Jesus would want. He's come to call you from repentance, to turn away from your own life and follow Jesus. But I think the first step in that is actually knowing who Jesus is. And I'm going to pray that way. And then we're going to pray for those who know Jesus already to have the eyes that Jesus has when you're looking at the people you're around. I think that's a meaningful prayer. And I want to invite you to pray that with me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or indicate it or anything but it's a meaningful prayer because I think it's a prayer that God always answers yes to. And you'll find yourself changing because God is changing the way that you perceive the world around you. Let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. Our God, for those among us who don't know you, I want to pray, first of all, forgiveness for those of us who fail to project or, or to show a good image of Jesus at all times, which is all of us. And we just acknowledge that we can only be who you want us to be by the work of your spirit in our lives. And so we pray that your spirit would cleanse our hearts, that we would have an undivided heart like David prayed in the Psalms, that he would have an undivided heart only seeking you and free us from the things that crowd our desires and crowd our fears and crowd our worries and allow us to seek only after you because that is when we will be a pure reflection of you that is what we hope to show the world. Because we believe that if the world knew Jesus, they would love Jesus. God, then, I pray for those of us who know Jesus to change our perception of the world that we would have almost like uh, Holy Spirit contact lenses or Holy Spirit glasses where we're able to see what God sees in the people around us. We thank you for our friendships with scumbag tax collectors and notorious sinners because we believe that you love them. And a step past that, we believe that you like them. And we believe that you have put us here in this world to be your hands and your feet, to be your eyes and your heart for the world around us. Give us friends in low places in low status in low economic rings low on the social and moral scale give us them because you love and because you like and because when we're able to show who jesus is there's only one response that they love and they like being close to you lord May your spirit work in our hearts. By your grace we pray. Amen.